Welcome to the King's Anywhere podcast, inspirational teaching, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whenever you're ready. There's a, a number of letters at the book of, the beginning of the book of Revelation, in the first chapters two and three, that Jesus writes to the churches. John records them, but Jesus writes them. And in one of them, he writes to a church and he says, I would love to come amongst you and share a meal with you. I'd love to sit down and eat with you, to be part of your community, to, to eat and drink with you. I wonder if Jesus said that to us, how would we welcome him? Um, how would we serve him? If Jesus like, said, I want to I just come and share a meal with you, how would we welcome him? How would we serve him? What, what would his presence at a meal do to how we treated other people at the meal? What impact would having a meal with Jesus have? Because he says in Revelation 3 to the Laodicean church, I'm standing at the door, I'm knocking, I want to come and eat with you. Here's the thing, God is present with us by his Holy Spirit now. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus is. We believe in the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Co-equal, co-eternal, three, three persons in one substance, God Almighty. That's what the scriptures teach. And so God is present with us now by his Spirit how do we host him? How do we welcome him? How do we make room for him? How does him being present impact how we treat other people? How do we welcome the Holy Spirit? The series we're doing in Acts chapter 2 is about that. It's about looking at those early disciples in Acts 2 about how they hosted the Holy Spirit and saying, okay, what can we learn from them that would help us to host the presence of the Holy Spirit in our own personal lives, in our homes, in our missional communities, across the life of King's Church? And so we've been working our way through Acts 2, 42 to 47, maybe a little bit before that, thinking about being devoted. But there's a verse I want us to pick up on this morning, or a few verses maybe, but certainly this verse, Acts 2, 43. It says, every one of them was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Or, as the New King James Version says, then a great fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles now fear not is the most frequent command of the bible there's 365 times you could find that phrase in the bible fear not fear not fear not fear not one for every day of the year if you like and yet here we're told that fear is a good thing there's a healthy fear and there's an unhealthy fear. The Bible says that the fear of people casts a snare. It leaves us feeling trapped. If you're afraid of people, what will people think? Oh, how will they, how will they react if I obey God? Or if I take that step of faith, people will think this or people will say that. The fear of people leaves you feeling trapped. But the Bible also says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
When we fear God, we make wise choices. It's the starting point of good choices. I guess it's who's biggest in your estimation. If people are the biggest, you fear them the most. And so you live your life to make sure that you never look out of place with people. That you never say anything that would make you look foolish or would make you embarrassed or would step you out of your comfort zone because you're afraid of what will people think, what will people say. They're the biggest in our estimation. It traps us. But if God is bigger in our estimation, then it's that we really do care about people. We love people. We don't want to do things intentionally to put them off or upset them but the person we're aiming to please the most is God and so if he says to do something we want to do what he says because we fear we respect we honor him above them I guess it's who we're trying to impress Now, the disciples in Acts 2 had encountered God the Holy Spirit. They had been plunged, immersed, baptized into God the Holy Spirit. And every one of them was filled with awe, the NIV says, or fear, the New King James Version says. And it's understandable. If you've encountered God, this is a perfectly reasonable um, response. If you've not... It's a theoretical response that you might have a passing interest in. Isaiah experienced God. Isaiah chapter 6 says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood a seraphim. One had six, they had six wings. With two they covered the face, with two they covered the feet, with two they flew. And they cried out to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. Who is Isaiah experiencing here? Jesus. How do I know that? John's gospel tells us. The best Commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So John in chapter 12 verse 41 says, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. 700 years before Christmas, Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus and spoke about it. Jesus existed before he was born. We didn't. Because Jesus is God. Co-equal with the Father and the Spirit. And what the seraphim were experiencing was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He was experiencing something of Jesus, and he cries out, holy, holy, holy. The King of heaven. And he's trying to communicate it. These heavenly beings who are around the throne, seraphim, they're a kind of angel. Isaiah tells us that they have six wings with two They're covering their eyes. These are sinless, angelic beings that have been in the presence of God for millennia. And they can't look at God for long because of the glory of God. I've heard people say to me, when I see God, I'm going to say this and I'm going to say that. When I see God, I will be like this. It's the appropriate response. 
glory. Holy, holy, holy. Why does he say it three times? In English, we have different ways of emphasizing things in writing. You can do italics. You can put an exclamation mark. You can print in bold letters or capital letters. Not possible in Hebrew. It's just letters and dots with no vowels. Imagine playing countdown. Consonant, please. (laughs) Consonant, please. And it was written from right to left. So, pop this up. Reading from right to left, what does that say? In the year that King Uzziah died. Can you see it? In the year that King Uzziah died. That's, now, there, it would be Hebrew letters. I put English ones in. It just got, would get too complex <laughs> with Hebrew ones. But they're English, and that's how you'd read it. So how do you emphasize anything? There's no exclamation marks, and there's no vowels. So pop the next one up. We're going to read from left to right just to make it a bit more easy. So we're not going right to left now. What does that say? What stands out? The thing that stands out is the repetition. How do you emphasize repetition? Holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. What does holy mean? It's a challenging word to actually interpret. The Hebrew is kudosh. I think that's how you say it. Q-A-D-O-S-H. It means to separate or set apart to. You're separating from something and to something. Being separate to God. Something that is wholly other. Imagine, I remember standing at the bottom of El Capitan in, 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 in America. Just standing at the bottom and it's a sheer wall of granite. Usually to climb it, climbers can take two to three days. And they climb, they bolt themselves on with ropes and they bolt the bed to the side of it and tie yourself to the bolt and you sleep on it. Then you climb again, you sleep on it, you climb again. Alex Honnell practiced for a year with ropes and climbed it in less than four hours without ropes. Straight up. Free solo. You stand at the bottom of that and you think, this is awesome. I wonder what's the most awesome thing you've seen. You might have seen an incredible sunset. You might have seen the stars at the sky. You might have seen the northern lights. You might have seen the birth of a child that fills you with awe. Times that by infinity and you begin to see something of what Isaiah saw when he saw the Lord. 
And the best he can do is holy, holy, holy. I wonder if we can pop the lights back on, please. That would be great. Thank you. The whole earth is full of his glory. Of course it is. It's like going to Orford Hub, emptying the pool and trying to fill it with the Atlantic Ocean. It just can't contain it. There's more of it than the space for it. The whole earth overflows with his glory. And that's who we're encountering. It's more than a tingle down your spine. It's more than an emotional move at the end of a song. It's God Almighty with us all the time. I wonder if you've experienced that. I wonder. This is God. God the Holy Spirit we're invited to encounter. The disciples in Acts 2, when they encountered him, at one point it says in verse 37, they were cut to the heart. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us of sin, righteousness and judgment to come. But then he comforts us. John Newton, incredible. I've been reading some bits and bobs by John Newton, just incredible stuff. But he wrote Amazing Grace. He was a slave trader who encountered God and his life was turned around. And he wrote a hymn a week to go with his sermon. He'd preach and he'd write a new hymn. Amazing Grace was one of those hymns to go with the sermon. In that hymn, he writes these words. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. It's the grace of God that helps us to fear God. And it's the grace of God that helps us to live in that fear. In that sense of awe. It's difficult to be found if you don't know that you're lost, isn't it? But when you're lost, when grace shows you that you're lost and you need God, then you can be found. If you've never realized that you're lost, you can't be found. If you think you're good enough, if you think your religious activity or your self-effort or where you were born or which family you're in will get you into heaven, you've not worked out that you're lost yet. And you can't be found until you know you're lost. But once you know you're lost, once the fear of God hits you and you know you're lost, then you encounter the grace of God. Um, Laura gave me a, a little note during the worship that just said, Jesus didn't just die for our sin. He became sin for us. Wow. And if, if, that hap- if that's happened to you and you know that, then you have the grace to be found. The disciples in Acts 2 lived with a sense of awe. They'd encountered God the Holy Spirit and this impacted how they shared life together and how they took the gospel to those around them. Then it says, a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many signs and wonders. 
Dr. Artie Ken, uh, no, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a Harley Street physician who was a Christian who ended up leading Westminster Chapel in London. He's probably one of my favourite, if not my favourite, author. And he said, the Bible does not defend miracles. It simply records them. It doesn't try and explain where, well, this is how it happened, and this is what the process, and this is the scientific thing behind it. It doesn't do that. It just says, the virgin gave birth to a child. How? I'm not telling you. It says, uh, a man was lowered down into a room. He couldn't walk, hadn't walked for years. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. And he did. How? I'm not telling you. Lazarus had been in a tomb three days dead. Jesus says, come out. And he does. How? I'm not telling you. Or, God made all of this. And if the pool at Orford can't contain the Atlantic Ocean because it's so much bigger, that's the kind of power that's released when God's at work in a situation. There's infinitely more power than needed to work and bring about change. We're to expect the supernatural. We have a holy, loving, awesome, powerful God and he works in people's lives today. Now, we've grown up in a broken world, and we are broken people, and we're impacted by that brokenness. But God can heal, and God can restore, and God can renew through people who encounter God and take him to others. We can be the agents of that kingdom. We can bring change. So when you walk into a room, have you ever walked into a room and you know that something's not right? There's just a, there's an atmosphere. Or you walk into a room and there's, there's a lot of laughter, but there's some people not laughing because the laughter is it's, it's aimed at those people. And no one's noticing that they're not finding it funny. Or there's a lot of gossip and slander and criticism. You walk into a room and it's happening. That's not the kingdom of God. That's not the culture you were made for. But when you walk in, you are a representative of the kingdom of God. The holy, holy, holy God, the whole earth is full of his glory. It's in you. And you walk in with the kingdom of God. And you can blend in and join in with what's going on, if you like. Bad move. Or you can bring the kingdom of God. You can speak up for these people and bring them in. You can speak positively instead of critically. You can bring hope and unity. You can bring the culture of the kingdom, and so can I. We get to choose. I encourage you to choose the kingdom of God. We get to encounter the love of the living God and to love others back to life. Do you know some people who need loving back to life? I do. Now, in the next chapter of Acts, Acts 3, we get some illustrations of these kind of miracles that were going on. You know the story. There'd been a man put at the beautiful gate for many years. People walked in and out and walked past him. The likely it is that Jesus had walked past him. It's highly likely. And he's begging for, 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 for money. And Peter and John are on the way to the prayer meeting. It's always a good idea, prayer meeting Friday night. And they're on the way to the prayer meeting. 
And he asks them for money. And Peter and John stop and they say to him, silver and gold we don't have. But what we do have, they had something. They had something. What I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. This guy, they take him by the hand, he jumps up, his feet and his ankles are healed. And he's leaping and jumping and praising God. And there's a stir, the temple hall held thousands of people. There's a, there's a stir because this guy's been miraculously healed. What does Peter do as the crowd gather? He says, I'm going to be here every Wednesday doing seminars on healing and deliverance. No. He tells them about Jesus. He said, it's in the name of Jesus who you crucified. (laughs) Talk about boldness. In the name of Jesus, you remember the one you crucified, him. It's in his name that this man now stands before you healed. It's not out of our glory or goodness, it's in Jesus. And he just points to Jesus, points to Jesus, shares the gospel. Thousands of people come to know Jesus again. Every sign and wonder and miracle that God performs displays something of the wonder of God's love for people. Do we actually believe in signs, wonders, miracles and healings? Do we? Or have we got to the point where we're reading the scriptures and saying, oh, well, let me have a look. Yeah, yeah, probably doesn't mean that for now. Or that's not for now. Or that can't be for us. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, I've always felt the trouble with people who do not believe in miracles is that really they do not believe in God. It's absolutely natural that God does miracles. Absolutely natural. We get to know the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God. He's not smaller than creation. He can't be confined by creation. He's bigger. And we encounter, when we encounter a miracle, God is performing both a historical act and also a pointer to the nature and plan of God. It's a foretaste of what it will be like when God makes all things new. Julia prayed that Jesus is coming back. He is. He is. It's not a fairy tale that. For thousands of years, the Bible said, the Messiah's coming. And people, oh, really? And then he came. And so those who could see, they saw. And now it's the same. Jesus is coming back. We get to live ready. What will it be like when he comes back? Revelation 21.4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Those things will be here. Until the return of Jesus. But when God does a miracle, he's almost showing us a travel brochure of the future. He's saying, this is what it'll be like. Did you see that? This is what it's going to be like for everyone all the time. Did you see that? It's going to be like that. I don't know what you imagine eternity to be like, but every time you see a miracle, you see a snapshot of it. You see a postcard of it. It's going to be like that. 
See the joy on that man's face and in his body and in his expression when, he, when Peter and John said, get up and walk, walking and leaping and praising God. Why? Because he just encountered God. That's what eternity will be like. Miracles and wonders are signs and a preview of what the believer will experience on that day. Miracles, wonders and signs point people to Jesus. The response of the people in the temple when they saw that man in Acts 3 healed was they were filled with wonder and amazement, Acts 3.10. Acts 3.11 says the people were astonished and came running to them. Acts 2, when the crowd saw the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit and the disciples in Acts 2.12 says they were amazed and perplexed. I wonder how many things are happening in our lives that leave people around us feeling wonder and amazed, astonished and amazed and perplexed. Or do they just explain it away that, well, you're just a nice person who's a bit religious. I want my life to perplex people. I want it to amaze people. I want the kingdom of God flowing through me to be such that when people look at what's happening, they say, I do not understand, but something definitely is happening. I can't cope with just being a nice bloke who goes to church. Honestly, I'm sick to death of it. And you think, you're not even a nice bloke. But you do go to church. I want my life to be so perplexing that when people look at it, there must be a God. There must be a God. There must be something. This is perplexing. Peter said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does it surprise you? Why do you stir at us as if by our own power and goodness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one. And you asked that a murderer be released to you. You tell him, Peter. You killed the author of life and God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you now see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that's completely healed him, as you can see. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Peter tells them they can know Jesus. You must be born again. You need your sins forgiven. God wants to welcome you into his family, but you need to know you're lost so that you can be found. If this is just theory to you, you need to know that you were lost so that you can be found. Peter had said to him, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Where did Peter get that idea from? I suggest passages like Acts 28, 19 to 20, where Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Authority. And then in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Authority and power. Peter and John knew that they'd been sent by the risen Lord Jesus and sent in his authority, and they'd been clothed with power from on high, by the Holy Spirit. Peter spoke in the name of Jesus. In other words, in the authority of Jesus. 
So when you're watching a, a film on, on, on TV or whatever, and the police stop someone and they say, stop in the name of the law, what they're saying is, I have the authority of the whole legal system behind me, and because of that, I tell you, stop. The authority is not in the name of the police officer. The authority is who the police officer, the badge, represents. It's like Jesus has given us the badge. You can speak as long as you're speaking in line with how Jesus would speak. You can speak in the name of Jesus. Peter knew who he was in Christ and therefore was able to move in that authority. If you want to see more of this in your life, then allow God's word, his spirit, and his people to begin to shape who you believe to yourself to be, your identity. Respond to him. Know that you're loved and accepted by him. Grow in holiness and decrease in pride or selfishness or ego. If you think this is a great way to make a name for myself, I urge you, don't seek this stuff. If you're out for a reputation, stay away from this. You're dangerous. Let God deal with your heart. But if you're secure in the love of God, if you're secure knowing that doing, moving in signs and wonders does not make God love you more, it doesn't make you a certain class of Christian or anything like that, we're just moving in the power of God. And when God does it, it's to his glory. And when he doesn't, we trust that he loves the person he loves us anyway. What happens when we pray for people and they don't get well? And we pray and we pray for years and years and years and they don't get well. We just bless God. And we say, these people are incredible. They love Jesus. Through this suffering, they're keeping loving Jesus. Wow! What an example of faithfulness and love. And we encourage one another. We don't judge, condemn, or criticize one another. We encourage one another. And what if we pass away and we've not been healed? Well, he will wipe every tear from their eye. There'll be no more suffering and pain. It's coming. It's coming. So either in this life or after this life, it's coming. And then he talks about power, acts of power, miracles, wonders and signs. We move in the power of the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you, offer to pray for people for healing with compassion. And let them feel blessed and just see what the power of God does. What happens if we pray for something or someone or even for yourself and nothing happens? My advice is this. Ask Jesus about it and be willing to listen to him. And if you don't have a clear answer, look at who he is. He's good and he's faithful. So don't accuse yourself. Don't accuse the other person. And don't accuse God. But be willing to humble ourselves and learn. Speak to him. Ask your questions. Lean in. This is what the disciples did. Do you remember that occasion when they were trying to cast a demon out of someone? And they couldn't. And Jesus comes along and he does. And then at the end they say to him, what was that all about? Why, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus says, oh, well, that kind. Well, they only come out with prayer and fasting. Oh. Just a little note here. 
It's important that we have a practice of fasting as Christians. Because if you come across a situation that requires prayer and fasting, the likelihood is you'll want to be dealing with it there and then rather than going away to fast about it. So a pattern of fasting in our lives on a regular basis sets us up to be ready. I'm going to close. Today we get to encounter God the Holy Spirit. We're set apart from, for him and from things that would be against him. We have delegated authority of our King, King Jesus, and we can move in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. We hope you enjoyed this message. To find out more about King's Church Warrington, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram.